The NFL Draft comes calling for Virginia Tech's Dalton Keene and UVA's Joe Reed and Bryce Hall. The Cavaliers have a new logo. I spoke with Hokies hoops coach Mike Young about his first season on the job, and David caught up with the ACC commissioner, John Swafford. We'll talk about all that and much, much more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to Episode 9 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and back from his forced week off, I'm joined as usual by the 13-time <laughs> Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, welcome back. I hope your week of furlough treated you well. You know, Mike, this being a uh, family podcast, I wondered if we were even allowed to drop the F word uh, <laughs> on here. <laughs> and uh, But I, I guess it's uh, public knowledge enough that uh, a lot of companies out there are doing furloughs. So my week went fine. Uh, uh, spent some quality uh, family time, just like others, and uh, just fortunate to be safe and healthy and employed. Yeah, it's funny. I, I go on my furlough this coming week, and uh, I got so many messages from people saying, you know, oh, are, are you okay? Is it, Are you going to be okay? And I thought, um, certainly it's, it's not great to lose a paycheck, but there are a lot of people in a lot worse spots uh, health-wise. Uh, financially, all across the country. So uh, we're, 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 I would say we're still pretty lucky and, and very lucky to be back uh, doing this podcast again, because this is kind of the fun stuff amidst uh, a lot of the stress in these times. No question, man. Just blessed beyond measure. So uh, despite all of the COVID-19 related cancellations that uh, we've seen and then everything that's shut down, we are David's starting to see more and more actual sports news, more and more, um, and I, I hate to use the word normal, but we're starting to see a little more normal stuff in our sports lives. This past week in ACC basketball, we had the firing of Wake Forest coach Danny Manning. And uh, David, before we get into the wins and losses and the X's and O's of the move, what do you think of the timing? Uh, you know, late April, firing a coach in terms of recruiting, in terms of what's going on nationally with the pandemic. What, what did you make of the timing of this move? It, the pandemic just clouds everything, Mike, and whether that delayed John Curry, the athletic director's decision, I don't know. I suspect the answer is yes, simply because he couldn't just devote all his time to, okay, what am I going to do with my basketball coach? Because there's so much else swirling around an athletics administrator right now in terms of the future and trying to balance the budget. And who knows, Mike, maybe he was trying to wrestle up some money because, you know, if the reports are accurate, now Wake Forest being a private school, it's a very tricky situation. But there are those in the national media who would lead you to believe that Danny Manning's buyout was north of 15 million bucks. And th that's big coin in flush times. In, in, in the middle of an economic downturn, that is a big chunk of change now. Am I being naive that, that I got to a point where I thought uh, Danny Manning's job was safe because of the economics? And, and maybe this is me being naive, but doesn't it feel a little Ebenezer Scrooge to fire a coach in the middle of a pandemic? 
if you feel like you have to do it, I I really think you you, you go ahead and and make the change simply because by delaying the inevitable, you're just putting your program long-term farther behind. Scrooge-like, yeah, you can make the case, but I I think I I still would have done it. I mean, he was 30 and 80, Mike, against the ACC in the regular season over six years. They gave him plenty of time. And, oh, just in the last two weeks, his best returning player, Shondi Brown, decided he was out of there. And I, I think that arguably played a role in all of this as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree that if you look at it purely on the merits of building a basketball program, it's the right move. Again, it's just a little... I don't know. It tastes a little sour to me, given the the setting we're in. But uh, I think you're absolutely right from a, a basketball standpoint. And you know, Danny was was pretty good with us in the media, but he just oh yeah, yeah, you know, just and great to be around. You know, great stories, great history. Obviously, his background in the game in Kansas and the pros um, was a great mentor to to some of the young players, not just in the Wake Forest program. I know uh, Armando Baycott, who's at Carolina, a Richmond kid, um, spent some time with him with one of the national programs. And so uh, a lot of good about Danny Manning, but you're right that on the floor, it wasn't happening for him. So where does Wake Forest go? And, 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 and does the pandemic complicate now their hiring? Well, I... I think it precludes them, obviously, from doing the normal and going to a remote location such as a hotel near the Atlanta or Charlotte airport and jetting in a bunch of candidates and having them meet with John Curry and whatever committee or search firm that he intends to use. But I don't think there'll be any shortage of, of candidates. You're talking about an ACC job, and there will be a long line of folks. And mid-majors, majors alike. And one thing that's interesting, this is the only major college basketball job that has turned over in this very unique offseason. So your previous point about the timing being odd is so very well taken because no one else in the big conferences has taken this step. Maybe an advantage there to Wake Forest that they yeah, now yeah, don't, the, have, don't exactly. have any competition, right? That That's precisely the case. And there are plenty of coaches out there with Wake Forest ties. You look at North Carolina Greensboro's Wes Miller. I mean, his parents are Wake Forest donors. It's called the Miller Practice Center at Wake Forest. Ryan Odom, obviously, his dad coached there. Pat Kelsey at Winthrop is a former Wake assistant. Russell Turner at Cal Irvine is a former Wake assistant. East Tennessee State Steve Forbes was an assistant at Tennessee under Bruce Pearl when John Curry was working at Tennessee. So there's there's plenty of folks out there. And hey, John Beeline's looking for work. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't it be great to have him back uh, and, and oh have him gosh. in the ACC for us? Uh, that would be a fun time. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned though, the, the interview process, the hiring, it can't be 
normal. And another thing that that wasn't normal <laughs> this past week, but I, I enjoyed it, was the NFL draft. And, and they were forced to, to do it virtually and, and to not have the athletes there in the big theater and coming up on the stage and getting the hug from the commissioner. And the fans weren't in the building. They did everything virtually. They had cameras and live feeds into coaches and GMs and owners' homes and uh, into the homes of the prospects. And uh, I thought it was kind of cool. I'm not saying it was better or, or more enjoyable, but I thought it was kind of cool the way they presented it. I thought it was downright human. Yeah, it's a great word for it. No, I, I, I really did, Mike. And I don't need the suits and 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 the hugs and, and all that in, in the green room. Now, granted, it gets a little antiseptic without the fans. And heaven knows what was going on with Roger Goodell's wardrobe changes <laughs> and all that. Or the cat that was apparently sitting on the toilet in Mike Ravel's house. I mean, but, you know, you got Jerry Jones on his yacht, right? Mm. And apparently Cliff Kingsbury with the greatest bachelor pad known to mankind out, out in the, in the desert. It, it did have its moments. And I just think it speaks to number one, the, the power of sports and entertainment. And number two, how starved we are for yes. that in this home quarantine time. I mean, the ratings for the draft were higher than they've ever been. And that to me is absolutely zero surprise. It's why probably, and I'm exaggerating here, of course, we're recording this on Sunday morning. That's why tonight half the country is going to be watching parts three and four of the Jordan documentary. We're just we're craving it. Yeah, no doubt, and and you're right. And the Jordan documentary has been great. The first two parts were great, uh, but I don't know that it would be quite the destination TV event that it is um, in these times when, man, like you said, there's there's just nothing out there. I was. <laughs> more interested in the NFL draft this year, not even from a work standpoint. We're about to get into to the guys that we cover that were picked, but um, just as a, as a Miami Dolphins fan, as a sports fan, as somebody who just wanted a glimpse of what kind of life used to be. Um, and I thought, even though it was very different, I thought they did a nice job um, of presenting it, of putting it on. I thought it was a good show. And uh, it was it was a good weekend for Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech, certainly. The, the oh New England gosh. Patriots trade up to get him. Uh, tight end, very versatile, can do a lot of things. David, first off, were you surprised at how high in the draft Dalton went? Yeah, I was. I mean, what were the projections? Anywhere from maybe third round to undrafted free agent. So obviously he, he, he topped out on that. I you know, I thought not to suck up to the boss, but I thought our sports editor, Michael Phillips, phrased it very well in a story that when he said Dalton King bet on himself and won the bet. Yeah. And, and he's right. I mean, a lot of people when when he declared were like, hmm, really? But hey, he he impressed. All you got to do is impress one. Right. Mm hmm. And and cl clearly he, he impressed the Patriots and 
okay, I know Gronk's gone. I know Brady's gone. And maybe they're going to take a step back, but hello, it's the Patriots. It's Belichick. And what a great organization for the young man to go to. Yeah. And it's maybe it's, uh, and I'm not a Patriots fan, but I certainly respect the work they do. And maybe it is the work they do. And it's what Bill Belichick does that when I saw that pick, you know, I think Dalton Keene going to any other team that early, I would have said, what are they thinking with a big question mark at the end? Dalton yeah. Keene goes to the Patriots there. And I said, what are they thinking? Kind of with an exclamation, but like, I want to know, like, this is exciting. What They didn't just take this kid on a flyer. They have a plan. They see him in a role. They see his versatility in a way that they can max it out. Um, Again, any other team takes him there, and I probably question it. The New England Patriots take him there, and I think, boy, I can't wait to see what Dalton Keene's going to do in the NFL. Yeah, and and you know he'll do anything that he's asked. Absolutely. He's just that that kind of, of young man, be it special teams, be it blocking, you know, a- anything, pass catching, and he'll he'll make the roster. I, I I really think he will. I remember I was I was doing a story on him uh, for the Times Dispatch, and I had looked through at one point. It, it was something like eighty five percent of his catches were going for first downs uh, or, or touchdowns, and, and it was just staggering because they weren't you know jump balls in the end zone. Not that there's anything wrong with that play, but they were you know throws into the flat where he was being met by tacklers, and he just and this is one of those immeasurables for the NFL scouts, but they they are aware and talk about it. He's one of those guys who, when the lights are on, he's better. And when the situation is clutch, he's best. And and I think there's a value to that. And I, I think that's going to show up for him in the NFL. And oh, by the way, he relishes contact. Yes. Right? <laughs> that is not somebody who's shying away. He wants to break the tackle, not step around it. Correct. Now, UVA had two of their prospects. Uh, one I thought went Maybe where he was expected, maybe a little early in Joe Reed, another in Bryce Hall who slipped. Let's start with with Joe Reed. Um, First, big picture, surprised that he went uh, ahead of Hall and surprised that he went where he did. Yes, and yes. Uh, I I don't think anyone projected that Joe Reed was going to be the first player from UVA uh, taken off the board, much like few of us, if any, expected that Dalton Keene would be the first player from a state school uh, to be selected. But again, you know, Reed's one of those cats who, because of his special teams capability, I, I think that may have been as much of the lure as his pass catching skills. He's just so good in the return game. Yeah. And he spoke to the reporters uh, out there in LA and said that the coaches from the charges have already talked to him. Yes. About being a wide receiver. Yes. About being a kick returner. They've talked to him about lining up in the backfield, playing Mm -hmm. at a running back and coming out and catching passes. They've talked to him about dropping back to work on returning punts. Um, It's interesting. It's an interesting thing about the NFL today. Um, You see it certainly with, the quarterbacks, a guy like Taysom Hill, but you're seeing it, Dalton Keene, we just talked about. And I think Joe Reed falls in this category. The NFL teams are getting more and more creative with, you don't have to be the cookie cutter guy. There are ways to use people that give you an advantage, especially if other people aren't doing them, aren't preparing for them. And I think you're right that Joe Reed's versatility and, and range of ability is what made him so appealing. 
Yeah, and he's 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 going to a franchise in transition as well. You know, the, the Philip Rivers era is over. Is Tyrod Taylor going to be the quarterback? Is Justin Herbert going to be the quarterback moving forward? You know, you would think maybe at, at, at the start, if there is the normal start to the season, that it would be Tyrod under center. But then might they eventually go to? To, to Herbert, you, you don't know, but uh, it, it, it's an interesting time to be in. I, I made sure I was going to say this correctly, a Los Angeles charger. <laughs> I have that written down on an index card <laughs> yes. on my desk so that I didn't say San Diego. I didn't. Yeah, it's uh, I got to remember who's going to Vegas, who's where, uh, especially on the West Coast, confusing times and uh, a little bit of uh, confusing times for for Bryce Hall, the UVA corner. Uh, a year ago, there was talk that he could even be a first round. Most people thought he was a, a second round kind of guy. Uh, he comes back for his senior season. He has the injury, the ankle injury uh, against Miami while playing on special teams. Uh, he's been working a rehab to get back. He says he'll be 100% healthy. When camp starts, he said that uh, he, he's 100% healed right now. He's working on getting strength and range of motion uh, in that ankle back. David, surprised he slipped to the fifth round. Really, I'm not, Mike. Just everything played against him here, not only from the injury, but then you throw the shutdown on top of that. He had no opportunity to demonstrate to teams the extent that he's recovered and whether whether he would have had that chance or, t- or taken that opportunity I don't know but I know when I spoke to him before the Orange Bowl that it was his fervent hope that he would be able to participate in Virginia's pro day and and be able to at least show teams where he was never had that chance and at that point you know it's just a natural instinct if if you're an NFL scout or or team that you back off and you you become cautious yeah what's what's fascinating with his story is you know, the fringe prospects, right? The guys who were rounds five through seven or undrafted free agents, uh, they need those pro days to to show scouts, you know, what they can do. They need that opportunity. Bryce Hall was more of that blue chip prospect. I think the injury dropped him back into that mess with everybody mm-hmm. else where he really, you're right. He was really hurt by not being able to perform. He, he did go to the combine. He did get to meet the teams. Um, everybody is going to tell you, especially in that group I just referenced that, Hey, it's more about your game film. I, I've shown what I can mm-hmm. do. I'm going to let the, they always say, I'm going to let the film speak for itself. His film speaks pretty loudly. Uh, great ball skills. He was a high school receiver. Uh, he led the nation a, a year before in, in pass breakups. Uh, he was able to play press man coverage. He was able to drop. Uh, he, he does a lot of things. He has the size. He, he looks to me like a second round pick. I, I think this is a bit of a steal here. I think this is a, a bit of a um, discount getting Bryce Hall in the fifth round. If he's healthy, yeah. if, if, if Bryce Hall recovers and regains his UVA form, the Jets will be patting themselves on the back for years. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a city that uh, it loves and hates its corners, and, and I'm intrigued. <laughs> this will be a topic probably for another show when he gets going, but um, New York loves its 
brash. <laughs> it's outspoken. It, dare I say, it's obnoxious cornerbacks. Bryce Hall doesn't really fit that mold. He's, he's, he's a nice guy. He's a good kid. He's a great player. He's a great competitor. Um, I'll be curious to see how he how he uh, jives with the, the New York media, the New York fans, and and some of the expectation of what, what it means to play corner in, in New York. Well, if he performs... They'll love him regardless. That's a great point. That's always the bottom line, isn't it? And speaking of, of performing and getting a chance to perform, you know, there were a lot of other guys hoping to hear their names called that we covered. Uh, you think about Hasis Dubois. You think about Jordan Mack uh, at UVA. You think about Reggie Floyd at Virginia Tech. Um you know, all of them now in that mix for the undrafted free agent, the camp invites. It's going to be a fight for them to make rosters. The one I want to talk about most is Bryce Perkins, sure. the UVA quarterback. We both view him as this, you know, transitional talent at UVA, this explosive, dynamic athlete, a guy we both thought would get a chance in an NFL camp. And when he did, would really wow some people and, and maybe stick around. First, were you surprised that nobody took a flyer on him in the sixth or seventh round? Uh, and what do you think about where he landed? Somewhat, yes. But it, it was always going to be sixth or seventh round or undrafted free agent. And at that point, is there a great difference? I don't think so. And he, he too, lands on, on the West Coast. And he's certainly not going to supplant uh, Mr. Goff uh, un, under center. But hey, you know, he's, he's, he's got a chance to, to make a roster a, as a reserve or maybe as, as some type of hybrid. And, you know, Mike, you said earlier that it's all about game tape. There's, there's plenty of dynamic plays to see on his tape. And oh, by the way, that, that freakish workout video mm. that, that he posted where he stand, the standing broad jump is just, or the standing high jump, I guess, where yeah. he just leaps atop uh, that, I don't know what you'd call it, that pile of mats. But that kind of explosiveness, I just got to think there's a place for that on somebody's roster. Yeah, you watch that that video and it's circulating still around on on Twitter and Instagram. You watch that and it, it looks almost like bad Hollywood special effects. Like, yeah, oh, it does. Like they, they were trying to pretend he could fly and, and that's real, man. He can fly. And I think, in, and we mentioned his name earlier, uh, Taysom Hill. I think what teams are doing in the NFL with some of these guys saying, look, it's worth it to have a roster spot for a non-traditional backup quarterback who can do mm -hmm. some other things. I, I think having Bryce Perkins in your camp is smart. I think having him on your roster is smarter. And I think having him somewhere on the field is going to be smartest. Um, I still think Bryce Perkins has, has an NFL future. Agreed. Re really do. And... And maybe it won't be in Los Angeles. You know, you, you, you never know. If if there's indeed a, a preseason and he, he, he gets a chance to, to get on the field, maybe somebody else notices, maybe somebody puts him on a practice squad. You never know how these things will fall. Yeah, and you make a great point about the preseason because if it's scaled back, if there's less, uh, if there's less football before the year starts, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because uh, our team's going to err on the side of, Hey, let's go with the known quantities. And is 
it going to be harder for some of these young kids to make rosters? Or, or are teams going to kind of view it as, hey, we're all in the same boat. We need to make the right picks and gambles. Will, will they keep more of these young kids? It's, it's curious. I don't know how it's going to go. We don't know how the future is going to play out, which is what makes our Who You Got segment now even more interesting. Thank you, Mike. It is Who You Got. Dalton Keene went to the Patriots. Bryce Hall was picked by the Chargers. Who ends up having a better pro career, Keene or Hall? Who you got, David? Well, I'm going to side. I'm going to be optimistic, and this is is just for the young man's recovery. If all things are equal and Bryce Hall is healthy, I think he will make people in New York and with the Jets very happy. I think he is a starter and a frontline guy almost from from the beginning. And that he would have a, a more immediate and lasting impact on his team than Will Dalton Keene. Now, do I think Keene plays in the NFL? Absolutely. But I think Bryce Hall has the bigger upside. Yeah, I think you're right. And I'm going to agree with you that that Hall has the better pro career. Because I think at that position also, um, a corner, it's so valuable the way the league is right now. Um, I do think he has the better career. I don't know he has the longer career. I see Dalton Keene, and you mentioned this, his willingness to do anything, his work ethic, his habits. I see him as a guy who, between special teams, between his versatility, Dalton Keene seems to me like a guy who's going to be in the NFL for years and years and years. So while I do think Hall will have the bigger impact and be the better pro, I'll take this moment to mention that I wouldn't be surprised if Dalton Keene spends 15, 16, 17 years in the NFL because of his versatility and his willingness to do anything. Well, I, I think double digits is a, is a pretty admirable goal to, to start. If he goes 16 or 17 years, he will be, by, by football standards, a very old man yeah. by the time he retires. Well, we've all got the Tom Brady model now for you can play until you're 40 and, and at a pretty high level. So we'll see where that takes you. Certainly not me at 41. My, my window has now officially passed. David, uh, you got to spend about an hour of time with the ACC commissioner, John Swafford, this past week. Uh, you wrote a really interesting article. It's, it's up at richmond.com uh, for people to read. He, he hit on a lot of different things, and you guys talked about a number of topics. Uh, he, he, it was interesting to me. He said he's meeting virtually, of course, with the other Power Five commissioners basically daily, uh, yeah. the ACC ADs twice a week, the presidents weekly. Obviously, everyone's trying to communicate and, and as best they can kind of all stay on the same page. I know you guys hit a lot of things. It stood out to me, the quote in your article. He said, uh, right now, there are a lot more questions than there are answers. Mm-hmm. But from your time with the commissioner, what are some of the answers that stood out to you? The answers were, one, the ACC has not joined some of the other Power Five conferences and many, many schools and universities and businesses across the country by adopting austerity measures immediately. No salary cuts right now, no furloughs, no hiring freezes, nothing of that nature. And I, th- I thought it was interesting that he said for fiscal 20, for excuse me, fiscal 1920, which ends the end of June, that he anticipates the distributions that the ACC makes to its member schools will be 95% 
of what original projections were, which amounts basically to less than $2 million per school. I'm not dismissing how much the high, you know, say a million and a half to two million dollars is, but when your budgets exceed a hundred million, it's not as big a hit as it might seem. Those those were the big answers I thought he had. Now, did he get into how is that the case? Because we know the revenue they lost with the NCAA tournament. We know some of the other things that have been taken off the table. Did he give you a sense of, of why it's only going to be about a 5% reduction? Or, or um, is that kind of behind the scenes how they worked that out? Well, it, it actually, indeed he did, Mike. Because, yes, it was estimated that about 2.5 to 3 million was going to be the per school hit for the loss of NCAA tournament revenue. But you have to look at all the money that was saved by not having any of the spring championships, <laughs> ACC baseball tournament, and all the, all the rest. And, 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 and I don't think this is any small amount. You know, they'll be conducting next month's annual spring meetings virtually. Do you know where they usually have the spring meetings? I imagine it's somewhere warm. The Ritz-Carlton on <laughs> Amelia Island, Florida. That's yeah. every athletic director, head football coach, head basketball coach, senior women's administrator, all the ACC staff. Those rooms aren't cheap, pal. Mm-hmm. I mean... <laughs> And, and I'm sure the dinner tab isn't really cheap. <laughs> so you know, I think that's, that's real savings. And, and, and I didn't even put this in the column. And it's just coming to me now that we're sitting here talking is that one thing that, that the commissioner mentioned was in light of all this, he's really starting to wonder, okay, how many times a year do we really need to gather everyone <laughs> physically? Because they have winter meetings every year where they go to one of the ACC campuses and and, and discuss things. Could you do that virtually to, to, to save some money? Heck yeah. And I think there's moving forward, I, I think you're going to see a lot less of the excess in intercollegiate athletics. And, and that's just one example in, in all our lives. Uh, in in terms of how we spend our time and money. Well, I, I for one would support that. <laughs> it's the one thing that in this job has sort of always kind of rubbed me the wrong way is there is a lot of excess. There's a lot of um, money spent that uh, to me, when you're talking about education and you're talking about schools and you're just talking about the country that, um, you know, I, I look sometimes at, at the way meals are, are catered and then wasted. I look at uh, football teams that spend the night before a game in a hotel, hotel. for a home game. Oh, um, yeah. I think there's some there's some things being done that uh, if if we do indeed change and roll back some excess, it wouldn't would not break my heart. Uh, I'm curious also from that same conversation because you know this is still the big one. How yep. would you characterize his take and what he thinks um, other leagues their take, what they're thinking about playing football in the fall? about possibly playing without fans, about playing on campuses that aren't open. What did he tell you about that? Well, Mike, I think 90% of the conversations that they're having among the the, the Power Five commissioners and, and among the league ADs, it's all hypotheticals. Okay, if this happens, what do we do? If this happens, 
what do we do? Because they have no hard and firm answers. One thing that that was interesting, and there's been a lot of conflicting reporting on this, was the call the commissioners had with Vice President Pence last week. And at first, the reports were hard and fast. If there aren't students on campus fully operational, we're not having college football. And it didn't take long for that to get walked back. <laughs> and and the commissioner was in the latter camp as well and said, that is not definitive. And and I know, Mike, from, from talking to some folks I know, on the academic sides of of colleges, you know, there are discussions going on about, yeah, we we can have students on campus, but might we have smaller classes, and might some classes be virtual and and some in person? So I I think this hard and fast notion that everything's got to be the way it was before the pandemic is not quite right. And even to the point where I think they would, if if they feel like the best way to get the season in is with limited or no fans, is that ideal? Heck no. But would they do it because of the television revenue? In a heartbeat, I think they would. Because as, 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 the, as the commissioner told me, yeah, they're starting to run the budget numbers for if there's no football. <laughs> he said, that's something that you put in a locked drawer and hope you never have to use the key. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about the, the devastating impact, quote unquote, of losing the NCAA tournament. That ain't nothing compared to what would happen if football had to be shut down. And um, I think we agree optimistically that at some point in our future, sports are going to resume. Um, I think we hope that that's the case, uh, certainly around the country and in the ACC. Whenever they do come back, UVA, David, they're going to have some uh, some new look logos, um, <laughs> a design team from Nike, refreshed, revamped, whatever word you want to use, the Who's, the primary V Sabre logo. Uh, they also created two secondary logos, one, and, and I'll try to paint the picture if you haven't seen them um you know they're all over the internet so you can find them but one features a a cavalier with his head down and his swords up uh another is a cavalier hat with the the swords kind of crossed over and it's sitting on a shield um I I thought they were fine. I was honestly surprised. My email box was flooded with fans' negative reactions to, to these secondary logos in particular. Uh, I don't know. I, I thought they were fine. But that brings us to our second question from headquarters. It's take it or leave it. That is today's topic on uh, take it or leave it. Virginia's new Nike designed logos. Take it or leave it, Mike. I'm going to take them. Maybe I'm I'm weird here. Um, I think the primary logo still looks like the old primary logo. It's a little bit sharper. That's fine. I think the other two are, are exactly what they were labeled. Secondary logos. They're they're kind of fun. You can throw them on a T-shirt. Um, you know, they, they'll pop nicely on on some TV graphics and things like that. I admittedly 
I don't get caught up in uniforms. I'm not the Oregon uniform guy who loves a million combinations. I don't wake up first thing in the morning on the day that there's going to be a uniform reveal to find out what a team's wearing. Um, I just don't care. Sorry. I know it's a, it's a wildly popular topic. It's just not for me. I looked at the logos. I thought, eh, they're kind of cool. That's fine. And, and I moved on with my day. David, take it or leave it. I will take it, guys. And in all this, while noting that anyone who has ever met me in person knows that I am not a fashion or design expert. So I will leave it to those who are far more uh, learned in such matters. And that would be Nike, because I don't think anyone markets uh, much better than those cats. And if they think this is what's going to sell, hey, have at it. And Mike, I'm with you. The, the younger crowd, they can get all exercised about uniforms and such or, or logos. And, and especially those who went to the school and even older folks such as I uh, who, you know, went to school in the 80s or, or the 90s. Yeah, they're invested in the logos and, and they care. But eventually they'll get accustomed to it and they're going to be cheering for their team and wearing the gear regardless. If this is what Virginia and Nike want to sell, have at it. Yeah, well said. I, I'm probably a bit of a traditionalist. I love the the Penn State clean look. I love the Yankee pinstripes, but um, – I, I just I just don't get worked up about this, and um, I'm far more interested in in how the games are, are played and how they shape out. And David, a, a, a little month uh, over uh, a little month ago, when the ACC tournament ended, uh, it also ended the first basketball season at Virginia Tech for Mike Young. Uh, they lost to North Carolina there in, in one of the the few games that was actually played in Greensboro before the tournament was canceled. I caught up with Mike uh, this past week. We talked about that first season at Tech. We got into a lot of stuff. The, the addition of the grad transfer from K-State, uh, the loss of Landers Nolly, his decision to bolt. And the, the overarching thing, I thought Mike emphasized that the program is ahead of where he thought it would be at this point. They lost their top five scorers uh, from the previous team. Uh, they lost Buzz Williams, their coach. He comes in, he inherits this team. Uh, he thought they ended up better than he expected further along. He thinks they're in a good place. So David, uh, your take, are, are they in a good place? Yeah, I, I, I think they are, Mike. And I don't know if if you were in the media room in Greensboro after the Carolina game for the exchange I had with Coach Young when I asked him kind of that question, now that it's over, what are your impressions and are you ahead? Are you satisfied? And he gave a real, I forget <laughs> the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of, hell yeah, I am. I mean, he was really emphatic right there in the immediate moment. And then in your in your interview this past week, he, he affirmed that. And does losing Landers not hurt? Maybe. But maybe it's addition by subtraction. And maybe the fit wasn't great. And maybe the fact that early in the season, his father was making it clear that the young man already had one foot out the door. Maybe that didn't sit well with, with some folks. So it, you trade Nolly and now you have 
By the way, and this young man's already on the all-name team, Cartier Diara. I man, I'd have some fun with that. If if I'm John Laser and Mike Burnup, I I think that just rolls off the tongue, man. Um, he's you know he's an interesting prospect. He didn't shoot it for a particularly efficient percentage at Kansas State, but he did average 13 points a game. I think it's a it's a it's a nice addition, and given everything that they have c- coming back, and then the, the the three incoming freshmen, I think it's a very intriguing mix. Yeah, he's put together a, a roster that I think uh, kind of can play the style of ball he wants to play. He talked to me about the fact that you know he's laid the foundation. He's he's got what he wants in place. The guys know how they're going to practice. They know how they're going to play. They, they know how the program is going to run. So you're right. I, I think he's put things in a good position. Uh, you know, I asked him about Nolly and the decision to leave and, you know, all those published reports that, that Landers and his father weren't happy with the way uh, that Mike was playing him, that, that he thought Mike played him too much like a, a four, a power forward, not enough on the wing. And, you know, I asked Mike and he said, basically, uh, he had no regrets, no second thoughts. He said, my job is to put the team in a position to win the team. And he, he emphasized that. In other words, hey, I'm going to do what's best for Virginia Tech to win basketball games. And I want players that are that are willing to do that. Uh, but at the end, he, he wished Landers Nolly nothing but the best, wishes him well. And, and we'll see where both of them uh, kind of go from here. As far as uh, Diara from Kansas State, you know, I asked him about how are you going to play this kid on the floor when you're bringing back a point guard and a good point guard in Wabisa Beatty, in a team leader, uh, in maybe your best defensive player. And, you know, he was funny with that too. He said pretty candidly, he said, hey, I never have thought it's a problem to have two point guards on the floor, two guys who can dribble, two guys who can pass, two guys who can run your offense. Uh, He basically said, what's wrong with that? So uh, I think he's he's quite happy and, and has a plan for using those two kids together. You know, the big thing for that team. They faded down the stretch, David. They, they faded at the end. Um, they didn't end as strong as they wanted. And, and I asked Mike repeatedly uh, at the end while they were struggling, did he think the team was hitting a wall physically, mentally, um, playing a lot of freshmen? Did he think they were hitting a wall? He kept saying no. Uh, and he was great in this interview because I brought it up and he said, yeah, that was just him being stubborn. Uh, he, he looks at it now and he says, yeah, you know, this this team probably did a little bit um, just run out of gas. And he told me it won't be the last time I hear him be stubborn with us in the media. So, David, that's something for us uh, to look forward to next season uh, with Mike Young. And, and as you said, with a team that I think uh, has a chance to make a big jump because he's got some really good pieces coming back. Well, that's our show for this week. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts. Just find the RTD Podcast channel. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers, including a sports-only option, right now at richmond.com. More than ever, we need your support, so thank you. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join us again next week. Bye.